prisoner of words unsaid. Just lonely All right, welcome everyone. A welcome, welcome to the Consensus Podcast, episode four, Back to Basics. <laughs> so we just first of all want to say thank you to everyone who listens and engages with our content and uh, just thank you for your support and thank you for listening. And um, obviously, if you want to uh, follow us, add us, at us, um, you can get us on the underscore consensus underscore. And that's both on Insta and on Twitter. And if you want to engage with our content, please use the hashtag uh, consensus podcast or consensus podcast B2B back to basics, which just references uh, this um, episode, these uh, section of episodes that we're covering at the moment, going back to basics. So uh, without further ado, let's introduce ourselves. So I'll start first. I'm Shaka and I am representing the Green Party. Hi, I'm Koyan and I'm a Conservative supporter. Why did you change your voice like that? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm <laughs> Hi, I'm Jen and I'm a Labour member. And I'm Mel and I'm a Liberal Democrat member. So just before we get into it, just to remind you that you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts and Acast. So let's get into it. So this episode, we are talking about the constitution, more specifically uh, the British constitution or lack thereof, which is um, part of the conversation that we're going to have today. So I just wanted to start really with um, a general meaning of constitution. So the general meaning in the uh, dictionary uh, says that Constitution means a composition of something. It just means the elements that make up something, a whole. Um, And then more specifically, the political meaning, which is what we'll be talking about today, is described as a body of fundamental principles or established precedents according to which a state or other organisation is acknowledged to be governed. So that is back to basics. (laughs) And um, so before I open up the floor, and kind of talk about, uh, we'll just start this discussion, just kind of wanted to give an outline of what we'll talk about today, which is essentially the history of uh, British parliamentary democracy, sort of how we kind of found ourselves where we are. Um, You know, in terms of when we talk about a constitution, we're essentially talking about everything that we've spoken about in other previous episodes, which is how we're governed, how it works, um, who's in charge, um, how they're given the authority to be in charge, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, that's essentially what we'll be covering today. So I thought we'd start with a little quote, um, which just kind of outlines essentially what we'll be talking about today. Um, This is a quote by Will Hutton uh, from the book, The State We're In. And he says, while there is growing acceptance of the urgent need to reform Britain's political processes and make it conform to some conception of what a good, in inverted commas, democracy should be, there is less consensus over the need of a written constitution. So okay. let's open the floor. See, did you see that consensus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew you <laughs> uh, So I myself, I'm in two minds about whether or not we should have a written constitution or not. Mm-hmm. I think both a written constitution and having what we currently have in Britain both have benefits and sort of disadvantages. Mm. Um, so that's where I stand. How about, what do you think? Are you on, do you think we should have one? I, sorry, I think that, I don't, I feel like we, our constitution, that it is sort of written because it's written in acts and, um, you know, through conventions and stuff like that. I just feel like ours is not codified and it's not in a single document, whereas in the US, they're, constitution is written in a single document so literally that one document everything is found in there Mm -hmm. so um so I do feel like we have some sort of written constitution but it's not as stringent as maybe America yeah no that's fair so like a codified one yeah basically I think it's such a difficult question because if we were to have like a written constitution who's going to write it like what exactly would go inside this constitution as well um Again, like like Mel said, I'm a bit in two minds. I'm not sure that we necessarily need one, but there have been issues over the past that have kind of highlighted the need for one because um, over the years and most 
recently with Brexit, for example, there have been issues where there has been a clash between the executive executive and parliament and not knowing um exactly um how a convention should be interpreted so they're interpreting interpreting it for their own um stance and there have been a number of ways in which that has happened I'm sure we'll go into that in a bit more detail Mm -hmm. later but it's really complex because on one hand I see that I do see why we should potentially have one but on the other hand I do like the flexibility that um um our constitution has um so yeah it's a bit yeah, of a difficult yeah. question and and it's not just us that's going to struggle with that question so many people mm-hmm. are struggling with it mm-hmm. um and is there a need for it and if so like how are we going to go about writing one and who's mm-hmm. gonna write it i think as well like in terms of what you said about the flexibility one thing um i like about the constitution that we have is the fact that um depending on the government of the day we are we'll be able to change um mm. legislation so for instance all the legislation that the Tory government may put in place now, um, if a Labour government were to come into place, it would be easier for them to kind of change it and like make amendments to ensure that um, it goes with the change in times firstly and also to benefit the working class mm. as um, Labour is the party for the working class. But there's pros and cons mm. to that as well because That's what, true. what that means is that every government or every executive that comes in mm. is really bound to very short-term goals rather than long-term goals and a, and a written constitution potentially could lock us into a more long-term plan as a country mm. like what are we you know can you codify actually equality is codified for example um, and then maybe for example that would prevent a government for example implementing something like austerity um or you know potentially that had that would have um more recourse to be challenged Mm. by the people by the people the polis Mm. um i i hear that i get what you're saying but i just feel like because we've had the tory government in for a period of time over um the years um, not just now in this period, but like, you know, back in the back through Margaret Thatcher and et cetera and John Major. Um, I just feel like if we say we were to do it now, it would be based on the Tories line of or the Tories um what's the word? The Tories proposals of what they would mm. want to put in place and if they were to do it now it would be difficult for someone like the, a Labour government or maybe a coalition government to kind of change it to kind of benefit more people if you know what I mean yeah so I if we were to have one I would prefer it to be under Labour government I think Queen you said something really interesting actually before we started recording was about most most constitutions have been written under either revolutionary chi- times mm. or mm. big time times of big political change mm. um so, and so in essence, that's kind of shaped the, the going forward and we haven't necessarily had that. Yeah. Um, and I think in terms of a written constitution, I think those that are in favour of a written constitution, um, and if I was going to be, it, it would be on revolutionary terms. I mean, it, mm. it would mean like for me, I would want to sign up to a whole complete overhaul of how we run parliament, you know, like that's proportional representation have a circular parliament as opposed to an adversary one with just two sides more like you know circular um you know obviously the in terms of like even something like a republic where literally it's not necessarily direct rule by the people but it's the people that have given the representatives the authority to govern isn't that what parliamentary yeah, sovereignty that's, yeah, is yeah that's what i was about to we've say. reached it through a different means yes. we haven't done it for, yeah well we tried revolution once and it didn't quite work out we well we were actually, talking about the english civil war the english civil war but then we also had the glorious revolution yeah. in i want to say 1688 wherein um the people took power away from the crown mm. because they disagreed with the direction that the monarchy was going and they saw it as being a way of taking the country back a few decades or mainly it was like a religious thing back yeah, then. Back to, yeah. yeah so come on Mel with the history A-level <laughs> history coming through <laughs> so yeah I think we've reached like you were saying Jen like we've reached parliamentary sovereignty we've reached sort of the things that most constitutions set out to achieve mm-hmm. just through like a, a kind of an imperfect yes. way like with the US, you see their written constitution, 
and they're still bickering nowadays over mm. what it means. So mm. the way that we bicker and try and interpret, for example, like Erskine May, which is a um, essentially like a manual of parliament um, and other things like different laws that mm. existed through time, you know, we with a written constitution, we'd still be fighting battles, but they would just be perhaps slightly different. Yeah, yeah. it'll be different more restricted, battles. for example. Yeah, yeah. There um, wouldn't be much room for debate or talk, or even the ability to change like legislation for the times. For it's example. not as creative. It's not going to be as yeah. <laughs> mm. So. Well, that's actually, when we actually just talking about the history, that's quite a nice little segue just to talk a little bit about the history um, of our parliament and in terms of how we've got where we've got to and just a little bit of the um, the landmarks along the way. So um, just to give an overview, um, our parliament is often described as one of the oldest in the world. Mm. Um, it was historically a kind of assembly of councils and wise men that would um, advise the king um, or the monarch, should I say, mostly was a king, sometimes was a queen. Um, and this, and I'd say parliament probably wasn't formed in earnest until uh, 1215, which was the um which was the time of the Magna Carta. Um, and so this was a, a document that was um, created and it was um, essentially petitioned by wealthy landowners who were not happy with the taxes that were levied um, by the king, King John at the time. Um, and that kind of revolutionised the relationship between the parla parliament's making decisions and the power of um, the monarch. Because um, obviously previously we were ruled by kings and queens. Um, if you didn't already know that. So after this parliament slowly developed, so from the 13, um, 13th century, obviously parliament continued to develop um, and then we started to get representatives of shires and districts congregating to discuss matters of taxation and social reform and legislation. Um, this culminated with the reign of Henry IV in 1401, um, where he he himself actually advocated the expansion of parliamentary um, involvement in decision-making um, and uh, essentially allowed people in different uh, constituencies or different shires or, or um, parts of the country to, um, to you know, basically have representation in parliament and address their grievances, etc. Sorry, what shires? I don't know what that is. Like shires, like Derbyshire well, and all that. Huh? Like Derbyshire, Derbyshire. And Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, does, what does the shear mean? Is it like a an oh, area? So, yeah, yeah. I guess it just denotes so, a, a... So you used to have like the barons and the dukes and all that, like, because they they own the land. They would they were taking all the money, like in the feudal, the feudal yes. system. So like the peasants would work the land. They take all the money and give them some grain. And then the king would come along or the queen, the monarch, <laughs> and they would ask for more money so that they could go and invade France or something. And to the points where the dukes and all that were like, we're sick of giving you more money so you can go and try and invade France. Oh, okay. You can listen to us. That's yeah. Interesting. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it is an old term. <laughs> yeah. I guess we didn't have constituencies. That was, that came later under one of a, one of the acts and one of the reforms, um, which we might get to talk about in a bit. Um, but as Mel mentioned before, um, one of the biggest sort of shifts was the English Civil War, um, which took place between uh, 1603 and 1660. And, um, you know, often this is... <sighs> Often people think of this as like, oh, it's royalists against parliamentarians. So people who wanted democracy and then people who wanted direct rule by a monarch. Um, but it's it wasn't really. Mostly parliamentarians were also wealthy landowners or, you know, elite, um, like you said, dukes and, um, you know, people that owned a lot of land. People already had a level of power um, that was then able to be leveraged against the monarch. Um, so yeah, and then uh, from there, we essentially have this this kind of compromise, continual compromise between Parliament and the monarch. This, this like you say, this imperfect relationship that has developed over over time. Mm. Um. So, how about I throw in another quote from Will Hutton again? <laughs> I have read other books, I promise. You um, love this guy, don't you? 
I remember this book being really, I have to say this book, I remember being really influential on me at the time. What's the book called? Uh, it's called The State We're In. Okay. Still really, really relevant. Um, I think in terms of, for me, understanding like, all right, I find, I'm born in this country. Yes, the things are the way they are, but why are they the way they are? Mm. That book was a really, really helpful for me to understand. Like it shaped like, you know, the history mm. in terms of, um, yeah, like how we've, the state, literally the state we're in. Why are we in this state? Um, which literally means like the, our constitution, mm. but also, mm. you know, politically as well. Um, so he says the state remains the fountainhead of political authority and democratic power. British institutional problems start here. The British state conforms to no agreed rules nor clearly articulated principles. In other words, there's no written constitution. Carefully setting out the function of government and the rights and obligations of citizens. He says, and I put this in brackets, this carelessness is not accidental. Constitu uh, constitutions are guarantors of the continuing con contract that must exist between the, govern the governors and the governed. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. I do. Think, I was just thinking as you were like, say, as you were sort of re reading that out, how if like, like a sort of an analogy almost of how it all sort of works, because I, I slightly disagree. I do think that some, that it is a bit, Care, that the carelessness is kind of accidental or in some way like so you know with with America for instance the United States and with like France after their revolution which mm -hmm. was successful well, more successful or long lasting than ours mm -hmm. you know they got to start fresh and build this brand new house for instance and they could design they were the architects they knew what they were putting into it mm -hmm. whereas we've just kind of been like adding extensions on mm -hmm. here and there yeah. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes yeah. you realize that the extensions don't quite match the architectural styles are different yeah. and that's like the house that we all live in yeah so yeah it's a really it is a really good interesting way of looking at it like this yeah. um well, he's, a, he's a historian right or something like, like that a political commentator he's just one of those people who yeah. are on tv <laughs> i tend to not agree with him so much now but that book was really good i have to say yeah um, it, sorry yeah no go on i was just gonna say like Sorry, I'm kind of nerding out a bit, but how, for instance, like the state remains the fountainhead of political authority. It is true that we take that for granted. Like in so many other countries, you have like one political party, for instance, not so much the state, but the party that that is in control. So like in China, for instance, mm. the state and the party are the same thing. Mm. Not so much in our, well, not at all in our country. Although, yeah. you know, we do have the conservatives who are historically the world's most successful political party. Mm. Um, or in other states where it's like, um, you know, in state parts of Mexico, for instance, and his, historically in Colombia, um, it would be narco terrorists in, in that. So I think it is kind of- <laughs> I love that little- <laughs> Sorry, yeah, my nose has got thing. a bit of a nose. <laughs> Not coincidental, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a. I think that's that's an important point to talk about um, in terms of the Tories being the most successful political party, um, because essentially they're so embedded in the history of Parliament. Mm -hmm. So that's that surely isn't any accident. So in terms of like, so for example, Labour as an opposition or, or as a the you know official the Queen's official opposition, for example in terms of them making inroads in a parliamentary system that wasn't really designed to include the working class mm. or the interests of the working class. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, Tories are the, well. The, Sorry, they, what is your question? There isn't really a question. That's just, <laughs> I mean, there kind of is a question, I suppose. But I mean, what do we think about that? Like, that the, what? The, the, well, that Tories are like essentially the most successful party in parliament but that's not really an accident because of the the way that they're wedded so um so much more to the history of parliament mm. i think it's also that in in the uk the center right is or sort of people who consider themselves like centrist centrist right to right etc are you united in the conservative party there's no competition really on their mm. side for, for votes for voters of that persuasion that's whereas true. the progressive the the progressive vote, the center center left vote, mm. is split between a number of parties mm. because I suppose people are less likely to um, well, I don't know. Like you said, it's it's all history. So you had the liberals who were party of the establishment, but also the party of so you know like progress. And then when when the franchise was extended, the franchise being those who are um, able to vote, the Labour Party came in and completely upended what politics looked like in this country. And mm. you know we haven't changed. We haven't really looked back. Mm. But you know the 
Liberal Democrats, where do they stand on the spectrum? So where it depends, to be honest. So normally we're, we're classed as like a centrist party. Um, however, during the Blair years from 97 to 2000, well, Blair and Brown from 97 to 2010, the Liberal Democrats were considered to the left of Labour. Um, under the leadership mm. of Charles Kennedy, um, we were the the leftist alternative to the okay. to Labour, who had moved obviously rightwards. Um, but then joining the coalition, our policies became well. We we had to endorse more right wing policies um, because of you know we were in government then. Mm. And since then, honestly, like it's it's been a seen people would see it as like an identity crisis. We have our policies and we know what they are, but. Whether or where to pin ourselves is a question. Whether we should be pinned. Some some people in the party hate the term centrist and instead refer to themselves as being just liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, but isn't that with like all p- political parties though? Because they always have that kind of clash. So it's not just like the Liberal Democrats or even Labour because Conservatives have that as well. Because um, especially when it came to like, God, I keep saying this word, Brexit and stuff. <laughs> there were like <laughs> issues with the far right centrists well, yeah. in one nation. I think I saw something so, earlier. Sorry, no, something yeah, yeah. earlier today that like in any other country, the Conservatives would have been would be would be more than one party. It's essentially yeah. like a coalition mm-hmm. of tons of yeah, different parties. Exactly. But just to be frank, unite under a banner because it's successful. The Tories are more, you could argue, more interested in like sort of self preservation than they are in yeah. sort of core ideology just because of the like for example in another country someone like bill cash wouldn't be in the same party as david cameron they're fundamentally pretty different when it comes to like social social right um what what am i looking for um social policies Policies. Mm -hmm. and maybe not so much economic ones um but then even in the conservative parties like especially with these new tories coming forward um they might have sort of more left-wing yeah. anti-free trade kind of views mm. um and it's yeah so the the interest in like the sort pop- of social yeah. conservatism and economic liberalism yeah. is mm. i guess because well i don't know but i guess it's because the party can appeal to those different kind of peoples within that one unified banner and you're right in the sense that there is no like in-between party that will kind of bridge that gap from the centrist to the far right kind so that's why you have people who will be um centrists or left-leaning um centrist um left-leaning conservatives and far-right conservatives in, within one political party mm-hmm. hmm. so can i throw a question out there then yeah at this at this injuncture um do we think that Britain's historically shaped parliamentary system is designed to remain inherently inaccessible to the ordinary citizen? Um, No, I would say. So you mean the design of our parliamentary sovereignty? Our constitution. Our constitution. I think it's something that evolves. Yeah, I agree. It may be slightly behind the people at different times, but I think ultimately, like... The history of how the political processes have changed, they're not perfect and they're not always accessible, but I don't think things should be simplified for the sake of simplification. Mm -hmm. Running a country is hard and complicated because you've got so many competing interests to deal with. I don't think it's necessarily, yeah, the most accessible thing in the world and ordinary citizen is maybe something that needs definition in a way. Um, I think it's become more accessible than it used to be as well. Yeah, Um, barriers are are chipping away. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Um, education as well is something that is obviously going to be a big thing with regards to accessibility and it's not just your uh, typical ways of influencing government or um uh, politics there are different channels Mm. that have made it more accessible for people to get engaged in and if we're looking at the past elections it has kind of showed that it's not inaccessible for a lot of people Mm. to get involved um within the process because more and more people are becoming more aware and um, more engaged within our parliamentary democracy and um, the the processes and representative democracy as well. Yeah, I agree with you, Quinn. I feel like, I don't feel like it's inaccessible, but I may be saying that because I worked in parliament, Mm. um, but I just feel like there's a lot of information out there um, that people can access, but it's the fact that people don't want to access it or Mm. people just don't want to take the time to, you know, read on, okay, how to, how to, if there's an issue, you have an issue, how do you contact your MP? Mm. Um, how can your MP put pressure on um, the government? Um, how to do petitions and things like that, how to extend um, your opinion on consultations and stuff like that. So mm. I don't feel like it's 
inaccessible. I feel like we can access, but it's just that people don't want to take the time to mm-hmm. yeah. search. And I do actually think also Parliament has become a lot more accessible in the sense that it has its own website that has every yeah. single thing um, about anything really on that website so you know about how to vote like you said about poli- it's very transparent yeah. all the reports everything that's being said in the house of commons the house of lords everything that is said word for word it gives you the transcript it t- it's literally very transparent in the yeah. way that you can learn so much from that website from the parliament website which is actually very different to the gov.uk website yeah. so parliament website is so it's literally made politics much more accessible for mm. people but then again it, is it that people People don't want to find out this information mm. or they don't know about the website, but it is out yeah. there for everyone. I mean, to- oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, I was going to say, I don't think it's the system so much as the people that we elect to the system who mm. make it inaccessible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. I think it's that sort of, as during the last three years with all the, you know, Brexit and all this stuff, people have become disengaged. Mm. Um, and I think that's, or like frustrated. And I think that frustration is what makes it inaccessible because yes. people lose interest in, in, paying attention to what's going on or caring so much about like, oh, there's been another vote and it didn't go, you know, all oh, people are frustrating. Oh, the speaker's done this. So mm. I think the system is better than it has been, obviously, because it gets better. It's incrementally improving. But I think, yeah, for me, it's more that it's the people we elect mm. and how they use the parliamentary system to achieve certain goals mm. that may be throwing up barriers and frustrations for people. But can I just want to say something. So two points. In terms of Queen's point about Parliament being accessible, there's also the House of Commons Library, which also allows members of the public to actually see briefings and um, um, debate packs that MPs use um, when when there's a debate in the um, House of Commons or when they want to, um, like, provide information and also provide factual stuff for Mm. um, people. Mm. So that's a good thing that people could also look at. Also, when you um, when Mel said that people are disengaged, I don't feel like people, more people are getting disengaged. I actually feel, for me personally, I feel like more people are getting more engaged with politics, but it just depends on the specific issue. Mm, yeah. um, like, for instance, on my Twitter feed, when the whole Grenfell stuff happened, my tw- like Twitter was blowing off. When it was a general election, Twitter was blowing off. Um not so much local elections and stuff, but general elections was going off of the people talking about, you know, the different manifestos from the different parties and stuff. So I feel like, pe- but maybe that is just because of the type of people that I follow mm-hmm. or maybe just this, this is just the social media world, but I I just don't, and maybe it's because it's like a lot of my followers, a lot of people that I follow are London centric. So maybe that that there's also that aspect yeah. to it, but I, I don't feel like people are, disengaged and I feel like our generation and the generation coming up where I feel like we're becoming like more Mm. in tune with politics and stuff so just to add to that actually I do agree with you on that point and I would say that um more people are engaging in the sense that Boris's majority for example he was getting votes from people who necessarily would not have voted or would have voted in another party but their engagement in his politics and his policies meant that he was able to get votes in areas that he would never have gotten votes from mm-hmm. previously. True. So that kind of just shows that people are engaging in policies that really do affect them mm. and that they haven't seen before. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, no, no yeah. doubt. I think one thing though is that if you look at, I'm um, probably, I could be wrong here. I'm happy to hold my hands up if I am. But mm. looking at, isn't it saying that there are more people who didn't vote than vote mm-hmm. in some constituencies? And I think... I th- yeah, yeah. So there's so many like issues. Still like a the area. It's yeah. just yeah. exactly. Demographics are so crucial mm. to how people approach yeah. and feel feel invested. And yeah. I think some people feel invested because they see themselves reflected in the political class. Yeah. yeah. And some people feel invested because they don't, and it, you know, riles yeah. them up and makes them want to get involved. Yeah. Through that. And also, like, in, again, with regards to the nature of our political system, some people d- wouldn't vote just because they're not going to see a change within that specific area as well. So they just don't see the point in, you know, voting because yeah, yeah, nothing is going to change. Their, their, their politician's not going to be any different than it was mm. for many, many years before. But also something you said, Mel, in terms of like the people that represent us in Parliament and and to kind of bring it back to our constitution or the way in which our Parliament has evolved mm-hmm. imperfectly over the years. Um, I know it's slightly different and it is changing, but when we say people are disenfranchised or people are a bit disengaged from politics, is it because they don't 
feel like those people are representing them. And there's something about the way in which our parliamentary system is designed that can only attract certain types of people in there. We rarely, rarely will you see... And when I say ordinary, I mean, you know, like I, I'm trying to qualify that, but I know many, many people who choose not to vote because they just like, ah, oh, you know, they have no, uh, you know, no. They just don't feel like they're represented. Affinity, yeah. Mm. With, with, they, don't, they don't seem like normal people. They seem like specific class of people that are able to walk into parliament and speak the language and navigate the parliamentary system. But can I just say that I don't feel like that's a parliamentary thing. I think that's a political party thing because mm. as we did, um, our, this, um, one of our episodes where we were talking about political parties, um, or the executive, um, the it's it's the people, it's the membership of the political parties who pick the representatives. Mm. So, obviously, if people want a different representative, then you have to join a political party because that's the only way you're really going to have a, a say in the type of people, um, to represent you, or you stand yourself. Like, I don't feel like we should blame the parliamentary system. Mm. I feel like we should, it's more of the political parties and they may need reforming in the way they do things, in the way they attract people. We, You know, we're in this era of um, diversity and inclusion and stuff, but, Mm. you know, the type of people in um, not only um, parliamentary (laughs) candidates or as local councillors, but stuff like, you know, um, constituency officers and stuff, we're not seeing that. You're not seeing diversity, inclusion, people from, you know, different walks of life. So I feel like it's more of a party thing and the parties need to do better. Is there something to do? And I, I, on one level, I agree with you, but coming from a smaller party, I disagree because I guess there's something about the system itself, Mm -hmm. the grand system that we are invested in that shapes the way in which political parties are able to move. So for example, Mm -hmm. I've noticed even with, with like the green parties, quite a radical, it's got quite a radical ticket in many ways. This has changed and shaped, been shaped differently as we then try to become more, um, electable and Mm. I say in inverted commas so what happens is as parliamentary as parties develop and try to become more electable they essentially have to start to shape themselves around the tenets of the grand system of the parliamentary Mm. system so that's a fair point that's probably like a result of the vote the electoral system being first past the post yeah we need to change we definitely need to change that you know because otherwise you know looking at um, I think we referenced these statistics in like another episode on that, but just to briefly bring them up, the number of people it took to vote in each conservative MP, like when you divide, yes. for instance, the number of votes each party received by their elected officials is is wild. Like I think it's like 33,000 votes per yeah. Tory MP and mm. 838,000 votes to get Caroline Lucas elected yeah. for the Greens. So yeah, you have to, you have to in effect like conform because the electoral system is a nightmare for anyone yeah. to really... Yeah. Making roads mm. on. Yeah, I which, agree. Which is why people, I guess, choose, like, you know, to, because, like, well, what's the point? Because yeah. actually, there's a lot of votes that really don't count for anything depending on which constituency you're in. Yeah, mm. that's what I'm saying. That's why some people won't vote in some constituencies. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, Let's see. When we've got the time. Let's let me throw out another question, and we may may add a, a little bit more history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, in it, it kind of related actually to kind of what we're talking about, really. Well, the whole thing's related. But um, do we think British parliamentary and political democracy need to be modernised? I mean, we've seen it happen in Parliament, especially when John Burko was. Um, the speaker they have things if we're talking about parliamentary democracy um parliamentary democracy and the way that parliament works there have definitely been modernization within the way that parliament works for example um you know there's proxy voting now so um if an mp a woman um a pregnant um member of parliament before wasn't able to vote but now you can have proxy voting so someone Mm. can vote on your behalf that is something that's to show modernization is happening and occurring um even i mean this is obviously from before but women before weren't able to be members of parliament and now that we are seeing an increase in the number of women it's still at a slow rate as the same with you know having um minority ethnic uh, ethnic mps as well it's still at a slow rate but 
BRC modernization. Do with the parliamentary system itself? I mean, like I don't the think it's late, the parliamentary what, system. How, I think it's the electoral electoral system more so than the parliamentary system. So the way that parliament works is a bit different to for me anyway. Where the parliament works is different to the way the electoral electoral democracy is different to parliamentary democracy. For example, I wonder what, what you mean to... by modernizing. Like, do yeah. you mean because? The parliamentary system is, you know, like a, it's a concept that's like adopted by many countries. Like the Westminster system is found all over the world. Yeah. And that's like the basis for different countries <coughs> like that don't use that system, for instance. Yeah. So, so for example, like, so for example, if we talk about proportional representation, for example, would that mean, would that then change the parliament? Like would but that- that's not parliamentary democracy. Yeah, I, so I, parliamentary democracy would more so include like things like, for example, having the House of Commons and the House of Lords, or am I wrong in that? Or getting rid of the House getting rid of the House of Lords. That kind of yeah. but is that modernization? Because some countries yeah. have one chain have one have, yeah. like only the House of Commons or their like their equivalent, for instance. So I guess it'd be modernizing in art for us as a country, because we have all those, you know, all our traditions and statues and having that and having the monarch as the head of our democracy in the sense. Um what do, like what do you mean like what exactly would you want to see what's, like, a, mod- what's a modern parliamentary democracy would you would you consider? I guess I don't think you can separate them. I don't think parliament's over here and then electoral politics is over there. Like, I just don't think they're separate things. I think they they must work together. And I guess that's because I believe in, um, you know, real representative democracy, like where people are able to have power and say over their lives and 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 have like more investment. I think that our system is very, makes politics very distant for most people mm. and pr- mostly for people that need it the most who need who need the most who are most invested to see political change often are obviously mostly the ones that are neglected the most in our in our political system Mm -hmm. but that's just the political point but I I, like I said I just don't think you can separate the two and so I guess um to be fair I see where you're coming from like if you look at how things have changed modernization in a way just means devolving power yes um and you need an obviously like you need an efficient electoral system to do that. Um, I think devolution is really how I would quantify like mm. a modern parliamentary system. But mm. um, so, for instance, the Liberal Democrats. We I I, I I verge slightly from the party on this, but in our in our manifesto, we want a, a written constitution. We want a federal UK. So for those of you who don't aren't sure of that term, it's um, essentially sort of splitting the UK up into regions so that each region has more say over its own affairs. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that this would kind of weaken nationalism mm-hmm. because it would in like improve the relationship between the regions and have that kind of identity. Yeah. Um, like mm, including across Scotland, Wales, the U- like England, um, nearly said the UK there, which is pretty bad and goes to show how <laughs> dominant England is, <laughs> how it's become synonymous yeah. with the UK. So my bad there. But that's it. So like having a federal UK and letting the, the sort of the regions themselves sort of decide how they want power devolved. Yeah. So Yorkshire, for instance, I think many people in Yorkshire want um, a, a parliament. Whereas in Cornwall, they kind of want more of a regional assembly thing going on. So mm. kind of allowing the party, allowing the area regions to sort of self-determine mm. how devolution will work on their terms. Mm. And then you would have like the British parliament overseeing or like maybe not overseeing, but being uh, in terms of a hierarchy like above. So it's kind of like similar to state countries like Germany, you know, France and the United States, which have stronger regions. Yes. Mm. Um, but there have been then, issues of that, haven't there? Also, so oh, no system's so. perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll just be, oh, I don't know how that would work. Yeah. The idea is to proceed um, through with consensus. Is yeah. literally is what they... But say. I guess once you make it smaller, once you make the assembly smaller and smaller and smaller, it then allows more and more people to become more and more involved. So if the decision making is more bureaucracy, so, so yeah. true. Mm. So true. If you've got a country with a lot of people, a lot of money and a lot of issues mm. and trying to figure out how to make that function, how to, how some, to create a system that can manage those issues yeah. is never going to be perfect. Mm. What we have now isn't perfect, but mm. um, I believe that the government is this year going to set up a constitution, human yes. rights and democracy commission. Yeah, Who knows what that means? Um, um, yeah. But, you know, so we were, people are generally aware, even the conservatives who are generally like, you know, um, the system generally works for are you know on paper trying to look at look at the mechanisms that 
that make our country work and figure out how to make it more efficient, whatever that means, you know. Um, yeah, that was in their yeah. manifesto. Mm. Um, it was really, bad. it was worded really badly, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe they meant it to be badly. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't an Very accident. ambiguous. <laughs> but yeah, it, that came from after Brexit and the whole issue with the courts, etc. So, Oops. Hmm. Should we just, I just quickly want to touch on, because you, again, you mentioned something, Mel, in terms of the Queen being the sovereign, actually, um, mm. which is very different in a in something like a republic, for example, where the people are the sovereign. Um, but actually... For us, the Queen is sovereign. We live in a constitutional monarchy. Um, so even though the Queen's role now is very symbolic, nominal, supposedly, we don't know how involved she is. Um, so, you know, I think the last time I've got like on my notes, hang on. The last time a UK monarch got involved in politics was like 1839 when Queen Victoria interfered. But generally the Queen does not inf- interfere in mm-hmm. parliamentary um, procedures, but... Mm. She does not she, have opinions. Yeah. Supposedly. So supposedly, supposedly. Yeah. Supposedly. <laughs> Prince Charles has a lots of opinions, doesn't he? Mm. But, you know, four <laughs> things to go to royal assent when we talk about the royal, you know, the official royal opposition. When we talk about sovereignty, mm. essentially it's the ween. Uh, the, the ween. The ween. The royal <laughs> ween. The, the royal ween. <laughs> um, it's the queen that give, is is sovereign. I mean, what do we think about that? I mean, do we, yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about that. Would we get rid of the monarchy if, if, if we talk about modernization? Personally, no. No, I'd strip I'd strip away a lot of their um, allowances and all that. I think, frankly, mm. they can financially manage for themselves. And do it should be I mean? it should be easier for a royal family member to leave the mm. royal family if the press are hounding him and his wife. Frankly, is where I stand on it. I like having a royal family. I know it's they're, they're but why? Costly. It's just there. Yeah. It's not a good answer, like, like, but speech and stuff. Like I love that tradition. Yeah, no, and the I love I love, I love the love ceremony. It. It's not a good answer, but it. it's my answer. She can you can have a queen's speech without her being yeah. us having a the sovereignty and stuff. Nah, so no, but even though the queen is at the hen. Ultimately, the hen, hen. (laughs) mother hen, she's the hen. It's parliamentary sovereignty, so like that's still like the overriding sovereignty. Yeah, Yeah. but technically, she has to give royal assent if any um, legislation has been passed through. So, for something to become an act, she has to give her blessing, even though she won't. She doesn't say no. But still, there's still that procedure. And I just it's feel like so it's in name kind of thing. Yeah. But she's also but, the head of the church, which makes, well, the yes. Church of England, which makes things even more complicated yes. because of the role that the church plays in the state. Now, one thing I would have with the constitution yeah. is get rid of religious influence. I don't think it's yeah. right that only one branch of Christianity has seats in the House of Commons, I mean, House of Lords, even, um, at the expense of other religious branches in Christianity yeah okay. other religions yeah exactly I think okay. it should be I thought you was going to say yeah. like get rid of them but you're, what you're <laughs> no, saying yeah, I, get, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have no problem with bishops they're fine I just don't think that they should be involved in the legislature especially when they're voting on things that directly affect them for mm. instance and I don't think I think it's weird that parliament has say over the church of England I think it should be a, a separate body yeah. they have a synod right that's the word they have their own way of managing things and I think that we should separate church and state which we can't really do when the queen is head of the church and the state so you would mean like something like you know back in um, I think it was up until 2009 um the we had law lords in the house of lords but then oh, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. they moved to the supreme court which is just across the road from um, parliament so you mean kind of like separating them is that what you mean yeah like take it like how we how they, I think it was yeah like, um the Blair or Brown took the yeah. judiciary out of yeah. the legislature and made yeah. them their own separate, separate thing, thing yeah. I think that yeah we get a bit because of our history and tradition and so modernizing you're right would be I think for me stuff like separating church and state um stripping back the royal family mm. which is kind of constitutional I don't really have a problem with the queen stamping you know her wax seal yeah. or whatever on laws it's a bit daft <laughs> but to be honest you know it, it's, it's the same as when people stand around trump when he signs a law and then he gives the pens away to all the mm. people standing around him it's just as ludicrous a spectacle mm. it's just ours is a, a, a woman who was born into it because she happened mm. to be the daughter of someone who happened to be the brother of someone who happened to be mm. so yeah i mean the, you know the presidential you get the presidential veto 
in in republics with presidents, but the queen doesn't veto because she, she can't. Do anything. Mm-hmm. So we only have. But she's they're taking public money. Anyways, yes. sorry for another day. Sorry, <clears throat> went off on one there. Well, I mean, but the, but loads of stuff come up. I mean, that's really interesting. And when we talk about a constitution, I think that's all the stuff that we're talking about. The mm. the the you know the way in which it's all run, even mm. all the symbolic stuff like mm. this, like the church, the head of the state, and this is all historical. So this isn't. Um, you know this, it, and actually can sort of bring me into the next question: Which do we think these things are a, a hindrance, or actually are they traditions to be celebrated? This I means rich, long legacy and history, um, but seems to be like sort of holding us back in some ways in terms of modernizing, but also seems to be this you know sort of really organic evolution that we've kind of mm-hmm. gone through where we find ourselves um in terms of our system and also just for our, in terms of modernization uh electing the house of lords maybe that would that's just another just throwing that one out there getting rid of it completely why no i'm saying as in like that's another oh yeah or getting rid of it yeah. i don't agree yeah. with getting rid of it if so, i'm honest i like having yeah. two houses I like me having two too houses. Some because for, it's the checks and balances yeah i mean i know that we're probably all in favor of having two houses here but one argument i read against it is that Someone said that the second house only exists to thwart the will of the first. Mm. which I thought And then it just becomes more complicated. Like also personally, like if it's going to be elected, who's going to elect them? Like, how is it going to be? Is it going to be the same as like the house of Commons? Like there's just so many questions regarding mm. having an elected. But then, like but then we, well. we need to remember that also the house of laws, a lot of the lords or the peers in there mm-hmm. are expertise in their field, which is mm. why they have been appointed in there. Well, not Early all of recently, them. Recently, to so, be honest. Well, well not since, recently, as in recently, so, but since like, like Tony Blair, Blair years, I think. Yeah. A lot of them have been elected. Because you know, before we had hereditary, yeah, and all, all that, of rubbish. that stuff. But um, a lot of them are now um, more so, yeah. More so expertise in their mm. field. So I feel like it's important because a lot yeah. of MPs are not expertise in specific yeah. fields. So more or less they're just good campaigners. Yeah, exactly. And mm. on top of that, in the laws, they have more time to scrutinize legislation than mm. they do in the House of Commons. In the House of Commons, they've got specific time that they have to do it in. And they won't necessarily look at it word for word, whereas in the Lords, mm. they have more time. So I feel like I think I just, feel like we do still need I feel need mm. the chamber, but with the election the it's election just, part yeah. is just it's, it's just it's, difficult. It's, it's difficult to say because if we have an elected um if it's an elected chamber, who's gonna vote first and yeah. foremost? I like the idea of um if we ele- like you know, like you got um, you know, if you get an MBE or something like that, like mm. those are those are things people get nominated for that. So people in your lo- so if people in the community or people around you think, ah, oh, I really would like this person to be recognized for the mm. work that they're doing, whatever that may be be um like you say important works in your field then you could then go into a pool and then those people could then be elected upon so they kind of specialist in their knowledge they're respected by their mm. respective communities that could be a way um but kind of maybe something like that mm, that could be a way i know labor in the um 2019 manifesto so they wanted to like have like a, a senate type of chamber but that's just yeah. MPs who couldn't get elected the first time given it a go in another way, isn't it? Which, you know, to be fair, I think we probably have something quite similar. I think mm. it's like, what they have, what is it in America? You've got the co- Congresses decided on the population. So mm. some states will have more Congress people than others, but then the Senate is just two for each um, for each state. So that's the Congress is the whole thing. So it's the Senate and oh, the House of Representatives. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. So complicated. There's so it, many I know. questions. I know, playing. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, I'm, let's just, because we've got a roundup now. So we're just um, just aware of the time. But just before we end, before we close this discussion, um, is there any one thing, let's try and keep it short, but one thing that we'd like to see in a constitution if we had one? Mm. Oh, I have one. <laughs> any MP, <laughs> any elected representative who misbehaves, and there should be an auto, um, automatic by-election. So things like bullying and harassment, child abuse, um, you know, failing to act, failing to um, show duty of care and stuff like that. I feel like rather than either their party disciplining them or removing the whip, um, you know, and allowing them to be independent, they should automatically be up for by-election and people should stand against them. That's what I'd love to see mm. in the constitution. Because I feel like we have the seven principles of public life. I always bang on about this. Because that is literally the standard MPs need to be um, 
looking up to and a lot of them don't do that mm. it talks about honesty a lot of them are dishonest do you know what i mean it's things like that and i feel like mm. um something like that needs to be in the in a in a written constitution if we were to have one or a codified constitu- constitution mm. if we were to have one mm. i think it would just mainly be about establishing the different roles of the the three branches mainly so the legislative the executive um judiciary and just making it clear exactly what their roles are just so that there isn't that kind of people versus um parliament or you know the executive versus parliament and just kind of really establishing Mm. what their roles are so there's no just so that when there are issues for example when there are issues that you're not just kind of interpreting things for your own benefit, for your mm. own gain, mm. um, and just kind of politicizing the use of the judiciary, for example, when things don't kind of go in your favor as well. It's just really kind of just establishing the way that those three branches work together. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't think they should work together, but yeah. Not work together, but how they interact with one another. Because well, they need okay. to work together, actually. The mm. executive, the legislature. I think and there should the be a separation of powers. But there is a what, separation of powers, but like the way in not which, really, like, the executive and the legislature are, have I mean, a fusion one, of powers. Yeah, yeah. It's just some the ju- way. you know, ju- judiciary that doesn't. So, but yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, I guess, I don't know. They're all good points. I can't steal any of them, so I'm going to go for another one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something more about like having equality or human rights sort mm. of really. Mm really set out so that you don't mm. see the abuses that you see especially for people who aren't British citizens mm. um, yeah. I'm not sure if that falls under the sort of constitutional headline but I think that's, that's something that it should. does it does because there's yeah, the Human yeah. Rights Act yeah absolutely so that <laughs> done I like that alright well I'm going to throw I think externalities I think I would put, want to see that in a constitution so that the interests of money making could never, ever, ever come into uh, conflict with the environment um, yeah Absolutely. Okay. Oh, and equality. Well, we said e- egalité, <laughs> fraternité, <laughs> liberté. Yeah. So all of that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, the protection of the environment and the way in which there should never be a conflict, the environment should always come first. I like that. Mm. That's yeah. radical. Truth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that lovely note, <laughs> I think that wraps up um, our talk on the Constitution. Like we said, we are at the underscore consensus underscore. Please join us. We'd love to know your thoughts. Join the debate. Um, I feel like we've really put out a lot of really cool ideas and like there's something <laughs> bubbling here. So mm-hmm. I really hope um, all our listeners um, continue this debate um, and, and and let's start the revolution. Yeah, we need to revolution. <laughs> <laughs> <again. laughs> Yeah, we need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Peace, peace.